morning. Happy New Year. Good to have you with us. If I haven't met you, my name is Jesse. I'm one of the pastors here. Just want to welcome you and thank you for being here. It's been a, a busy week for uh, the church here and for our family. We did four services on Sunday and and then Christmas and all of that. And uh, everyone in my family got sick, including myself. And so um, I'm here this morning a little kind of jacked up on Dayquil and, and a few other things. And so there's no telling how the sermon will go. I actually had a dream last night that uh, my sermon made absolutely no sense. Uh, but several years ago, I had a guy come up to me and he said, you know, out of all the pastors I've ever heard preach, you say Jesus more than anybody else. And that's the trick. You fool anybody with a message. As long as you say Jesus a lot, you win. And, uh, and so I'm just going to say Jesus a lot and then we'll get out of here and, and uh, you can send me emails later. Um, so I actually have a, um, well, while I, while I say a couple other things, raise your hand. These guys have a Bible to, to give to you. If you don't have a Bible this morning, we want to let you use uh, one of our Bibles. <clears throat> and uh, we're going to be in John chapter 12 as we continue our, our series in the Gospel of John that we've been in for a few months. Uh, we're going to, like I said, John chapter 12, uh, verse 12. But before we get into that, I want to just reiterate um, the announcement Brad made. There's no Sunday night service tonight. We're moving our Sunday night service the following week and thereafter to 5.30 uh, p.m., and we're turning our Sunday nights into a, a more purposeful evening of deeper study, and so we're going to do a six-week block starting the first week in January on apologetics that uh, Brad Beers is going to teach. This is Brad. Brad, would you stand up just so everyone knows who you are? That's Brad Beers. He's another. If your name is Brad, we hire you, and so we're looking to, looking to get him, but Brad is a tremendous teacher. He's a graduate uh, of um, Biola and... Uh, just is a smart guy and very dynamic as far as his approach to teaching. And so really thankful to have him as part of our teaching repertoire. And so want to really encourage you to come on Sunday nights. We'll have child care provided for you if you want to come. And then <clears throat> this morning, I mentioned it last week briefly, I get to do a baby dedication. I get to do two baby dedications at the same time this morning. And so I'm going to ask the Deros and the uh, Kunmiches to come up. Is that how you, how you say it in plurality, Kunmiches? So welcome them up. So this is, this is really cool for me. Wayne always talks about, um, Wayne always gets to tell these stories of how, you know, after he's done uh, 800 years of ministry, all these great opportunities that he's done. So this, not, not, so just, let me just be clear here so you guys know. This is Courtney. This is Jordan. That is Jordan. And that's Nikki. And they're also related to another Jordan back there who married a Trevor. And um, so they're sisters. They're not brothers. Well, they are brother-in-laws now. And now they have children. And so Jordan didn't come to youth group here, but these, these three did. So I had them in youth group, which was super fun. They were super easy, <laughs> all three of them. And, uh, and so it's been really cool to see. I, I got to be in Jordan's wedding. I got to do their wedding. Yours was in Oregon, and yours was in uh, um, San Luis Obispo. And... Uh, one of the great things about being a pastor is you get to do weddings, you get to see babies born, and so this is a real privilege for me to be able to um, pray over their children and to pray for them as parents. And so what we do in a baby dedication, so you kind of understand the way, that, the way that we look at it as a church, is it's an opportunity for them as parents to look to you as their church and their family that's here too. They've got a bunch of family here. And for them to make a covenant with, with the church, those who know them, and with their family that they desire, it's a true desire of theirs, to raise their children 
according to the Bible and according to the gospel. And so before you, they're going to make a covenant. And this, this really applies to grandma and grandpa and great-grandpa back there videotaping everything on the phone. How you doing? Um, that that they, they desire for you to hold them accountable to doing just that, to raise their children according to the gospel and according to Jesus with great grace, but also the discipline and love of, of a parent just as the Lord disciplines us. And so, so what we're going to do is I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to ask them if they're going to covenant with you as their family uh, and they're going to say, I do. And I'm going to ask you as a church to also covenant with them to help do this too, to hold them accountable. So family, Jordan, Nikki, Jordan, Courtney, do you covenant with your church and your family to raise your children according to the gospel and the word of God? And church, do you covenant with them to hold them accountable to help them and guide them in that truth as well? Amen. So with that, we're going to pray. And so I was told that little Bear here, this is his name, Bear, and this is Merrick, that Bear's going to be easy. He'll be no problem. (laughs) Totally the opposite of his dad. And then Merrick. All right. So you're way better looking than anybody out there, just so you know. Nothing to be afraid of. Yeah. Go for it. Let's pray for him. Lord, thank you for the gift of life. New babes, Lord, remind us of you who were born for us, Lord, as a child, that we could approach you and know you. And Lord, they they teach us that your mercies truly are new and your grace is new, that there is a hope and there's a future. I pray for these little ones, Lord, that they would come to know you and worship you. And I pray, Lord, for their mom and dads, Lord, that they would also, uh, Lord, that they would teach these young ones how to live according to the word of God and according to the gospel. We trust you, Lord, in Jesus' name. Amen. Okay. I need that. Love you guys. This is uh, here. Still something to remember. The that one's yours. That one's yours. Yeah. Awesome. Thank you guys so much. Love you, dude. Cool. All right. It's truly one of the funner parts of. Funner parts of ministry to see how God works and brings families together. Um, John twelve twelve, and uh, if you are visiting this morning, as I see we do have some visitors, we uh, we truly care <clears throat> deeply about the Word of God. One of the things that we try to teach on a regular basis is that we sit under the authority of God's Word. And um, it's not about any one particular man except for the man Jesus Christ and what he has left behind in Scripture. And what we do uh, to show that we honor and value God's Word is we, we, uh, we like to stand during the reading of Scripture. So I want to encourage you, if you're able, to stand with me this morning as we read these verses together. <clears throat> the next day, verse 12 of chapter 12 of John. The next day, the large crowd that had come to the feast heard that Jesus was coming to Jerusalem. So they took branches of palm trees and went out to meet him, crying, Hosanna, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord, even the King of Israel. And Jesus found a young donkey and sat on it, just as it is written, 
Fear not, daughter of Zion. Behold, your king is coming, sitting on a donkey's colt. His disciples did not understand these things at first. But when Jesus was glorified, then they remembered that these things had been written about him and had been done to him. The crowd that had been with him when he called Lazarus out of the tomb and raised him from the dead continued to bear witness. The reason why the crowd went to meet him was that they heard he had done this, this sign. So the Pharisees said to one another, You see that you are gaining nothing. Look, the world has gone after him. Now among those who went up to worship at the feast were some Greeks. So these came to Philip, who was from Bethesda in Galilee, and asked him, Sir, we wish to see Jesus. Philip went and told Andrew. Andrew and Philip went and told Jesus. And Jesus answered them, The hour has come for the Son of Man to be glorified. Truly, truly I say to you, unless a grain of wheat falls into the earth and dies, it remains alone. But if it dies, it bears much fruit. Whoever loves his life loses it. And whoever hates life hates his life in this world will keep it for eternal life. If anyone serves me, he must follow me. And where I am, there will my servant be also. If anyone serves me, the Father will honor him. This is the word of the Lord. You may be seated. <clears throat> um, uh, hoping I don't lose my voice in the service here. But that may mean we end early, so everyone said amen to that. Amen. <laughs> oh. Okay, then. I think, um, I think you're all mean, is what I think. <laughs> the, uh, this is, in a way, I think, a good message for a New Year's um, service, and that this really marks a very pivotal point in the life of Christ. As we've been going through this gospel over the last couple months, we've seen that Jesus' hour has not yet come, and yet here we see that Jesus tells us that his hour indeed has come in regards to the triumphal entry. I want you to see in the first segment, as we kind of walk through some of these verses together before we get to uh, some of the application, that it's important for us to see that Jesus is, is marking himself for the first time, really, really allowing himself to be what he knew he has been all along, that he is the king of the Jews, that he's the true king, he's the true Messiah. But what's really beautiful, and, and this is one of the things about the writings of John, John has a way of inserting some just very beautiful moments within the text that are somewhat, in a way, lost on us. I mean, there's history here, so these things actually happened, but there's some beauty that John puts in the writings through the work of the Holy Spirit to teach us something really neat. First of all, as Jesus comes in um, on, on this donkey, fulfilling a prophecy from Zechariah chapter 9, which is written, and some of you will have a little uh, parenthetical kind of offset deal deal where it says, fear not, daughter of Zion. Uh, That's prophecy from Zechariah 9. So he's fulfilling prophecy and showing that he indeed is the long-awaited, long-prophesied Messiah. But he's not only the Messiah of the Jews and of Israel. He's also the Messiah of the entire world. And so the way that John does this is, first of all, There's this ironic statement in verse 19. So the Pharisees said to one another, you see that you are gaining nothing. Look, the whole world has gone after him. Uh, Now, we know that at this point, the gospel had not yet entirely gone out into the world, and yet the Pharisees are losing power, they're losing control, and they make this ironic statement, and John brings it out. Little do they know, indeed, the world 
uh, would turn out for Jesus Christ. In addition to that, in verse 20, it says, Now among those who went up to worship at the feast were some of the Greeks. So now we have these Greeks, these Gentiles, reaching out to find out who Jesus is. And they actually, they actually say in verse 21, Sir, we, we wish to see Jesus. We want to see him. Now Jesus comes riding in. A couple things that I want to point out, seven points within, uh, within this setting up the scene for you that I want you to see. Jesus now is not pushing his kingmanship to the side. He's embracing it. And he's embracing it at the exact right time. You see, the Pharisees were seeking to, to kill Jesus because of the statements that he had made and the things that he had done. They're trying to kill him because Jesus is a threat to their control. And their plan, as Judas went to meet with them secretly on this evening, was to take Jesus in secret when the crowds wouldn't see him because, the, because he's gaining popularity. People are starting to hear more and more about Jesus. But instead, what Jesus does is he takes, he takes the Passover meal at a time, uh, not the Passover meal, the Passover celebration, and during this Passover celebration, what would have occurred would have been literally up to around a million different people would have kind of influxed into the city of Jerusalem. We don't experience, any, we don't experience anything like that during the holidays in Truckee, do we? So imagine to an even greater extent, right, if you live here in Truckee and you're a local in Truckee, you know that come holiday season, we just get influxed with people from all over the place. And, and it's impossible. Like I saw a few posts on Facebook this week that said, don't go through the roundabout on 89 because you'll never get out of the roundabout on 89. <laughs> <clears throat> and, and, and what's happening in Jerusalem is a very similar kind of occurrence. It's a large tourist attraction. People are trying to seek God for the forgiveness of sins. And what Jesus does is on this scene, he comes in on a donkey. And this donkey uh, is a lowly donkey. It's not, it's not anything special. It's, it's humble. And, and we see that the people are celebrating Jesus by using palm branches. Palm branches were considered a symbol of victory and celebration. We're also told in other parts of the Gospels that, that others were laying down their coats. And, and these coats that they were laying down, in, in part for many people, were the only clothing that they had. But this was something that was celebrated for a king. This is something that they would do for a king. One quote I have here says, Perhaps many in the crowd had that incident in mind as they waved their palm branches. Maybe they hoped Jesus would prove to be the great messianic king and military conqueror who would liberate them from the yoke of Rome and establish the promises of Abraham and David. The idea here is that they were crying out to Jesus. It tells us why they were there. If you look at the text, they say they were there because just a few days earlier, Jesus had raised his friend Lazarus from the dead. So these people are seeing something in Jesus and they're thinking to themselves, Jesus is going to be the liberator for us from Rome, from government oppression. And of course, not too long after this, they are no longer crying Hosanna, they're crying crucify him. And the reason being is because their faith in Christ was not a faith in for who Jesus was, but what, for Jesus, what Jesus could do for them. It's a good question for us to ask this morning, why do you follow Christ? Do you follow him for what he provides, or do you follow him because he truly is king? The, the message this morning, in, in a way, really, the theme of it is, is that you would make Jesus king in your heart, that you would allow him to be elevated in your minds, that you would follow him the way that Jesus intended you to follow him. Now, the crowds, before they are crying out, crucify him, or crying, Hosanna. Hosanna, in verse 13, is translated from the Hebrew, and it literally translates like this. Help, I pray, or save now, I pray. There's a couple different ways that this can be translated from the Hebrew, but it comes from Psalms 113 through Psalms 118. 
These were psalms that were sung during major festivals like this one, each morning in the temple to, to kind of look forward to in hopes of the Messiah. And there's two kind of terms for Hosanna. One is the, the Lord, the, the idea, it's kind of hard to work this out in translation, but, but the help I pray, it's, it's kind of a, uh, one translation is, I hope you'll, you'll save. I, I, I hope you'll, you, you'll save me. Another way is, is to share it in a way that, that, that is, I know you'll save, like a guarantee. Uh, the best way I heard this put this week as I studied was, was to use uh, the analogy of football. So anybody watching any ball games uh, the last several days? We've got, we've got three. You know, being a big football guy, it's a little depressing to be part of a church that doesn't enjoy football as much as, but that's okay. I'll get over it. Um, the best way you put it is, is if, you're, if you've ever watched football, the, the quarterback throws a ball to a receiver. We, we know that much? Okay. And if the quarterback throws the ball to a defender and it's an interception, that's a bad thing. Now imagine, if you will, in one regard, in, in regards to saying, Hosanna, if you throw that ball and, and the other team intercepts that ball and they're running towards the touchdown, you may, you may say, catch him, catch him. Like if, you're, if you're rooting for the team that threw the interception, you don't want that guy to score the touchdown. So you're saying, catch him, catch him. But the other way to say it is, you got him. You got him. I know you got him. He's not going to score. We're going to be okay. It's a guarantee. And this is what these people are saying. They're emphatically saying, you're going to save. You are the Messiah. They're putting all of their chips in the basket that Jesus is who they think he is. But the problem, again, is that they've made a, a very radical proclamation that Jesus is king, but their motive for Jesus being king is way off base. That teaches us this morning that just because you make a, a strong verbal statement that Jesus is your Messiah, that doesn't mean that you've truly made him your Messiah. Strong verbal proclamation doesn't guarantee what's in your heart. You can't, you can't judge those things. And we'll talk about here in a few moments what it looks like to really be a follower of Jesus Christ. Now, as I said in Zechariah 9.9, there's this prophecy to rejoice, to not fear, because uh, the Savior, the King, is, in fact, Zechariah 9.9 reads, Behold, your King is coming to you, righteous, having salvation, he humble and mounted on a donkey, on a colt, on a fowl of a donkey. Now, it's important to recognize, I think, that Jesus comes the first time as a humble baby. We just celebrated on Christmas that the perfect gift in Christ was given to us. Amen? And in that reality, we see that Jesus is completely approachable to everyone. There, there is not one person who cannot come to Jesus. Just as I held those two beautiful babies, right? They are, not, they are not intimidating to me. I know they're intimidating to some guys. They're like, boy, the kid might, you know do something in his diaper, and then what am I going to do? I've had friends where I literally, you know, hand them, would hand them my baby, and they'd be like, dude, I, I don't want to hurt it. Like, these things are durable. Okay, I've had four of them. <laughs> they are durable, way more durable than you think. They can bounce, and don't ask me how I know that. <clears throat> You're fine. I'm a little bit old school sometimes. You don't need a helmet. Here's what you need to understand. The first time Jesus comes, he comes humbly. He comes in humility. He comes clothed in, in, in the, the clothing of a child. Every one of us has access to Jesus Christ. Every man, every woman, every race. As I said, he's the savior of the entire world, not just of the Jews, not just of the Gentiles. He's the savior of the big buff football guy. He's the savior of the guy who created computers, the, the guy who's skinny or scrawny. He's the savior of the old. He's the savior of the young. He's the savior for everyone. 
Jesus has come clothed as a baby. He's the perfect gift. He's approachable. He's gracious and he's forgiving. And he continues to be gracious. He continues to be forgiving. As we say around here, there's not one sin that is bigger than God's grace. God's grace is always bigger than your sin, always bigger than your mistakes. And we need that kind of God because none of us are perfect. Not one. But we have to say in the reality of this that just because that continues to be true, Jesus continues to be patient. The only reason he hasn't come yet to redeem his people back is because he is continually enduring with mankind that more would come to know him. I mean, think of the amazing fact that when you look at our world, at least for me, I think this is a broken world. This is a world that needs redemption more now than ever. This is a world that needs the message of God's love more than ever. And yet God hasn't come yet. You go, why? I'm sure those who lived through World War II thought, he surely has to come. He has to come now. This is the time for him to come. Hitler's, Hitler's doing what Hitler's doing. This is, this is an awful time to live. And yet Jesus has continued to be patient that more would come to him. But that does not set aside the fact or the reality that as Jesus came on a donkey the first time, he's not coming back on a donkey. He's going to come again to redeem his people who believe upon him. If you would turn to Revelation 19, I think it's a great contrast of the triumphal entry of the king of Jesus on a donkey and then the triumphal entry from Revelation 19 when Jesus comes again. End of the Bible, Revelation 19, verse 11. Then I saw heaven opened, and behold, a white horse, not a donkey, a white horse. The one sitting on it is called Faithful and True, and in righteousness he judges and makes war. His eyes are like a flame of fire, and on his head are many diadems. And he has a name written that no one knows but himself. He is clothed in a robe dipped in blood, and the name by which he is called is the Word of God. And the armies of heaven arrayed in fine linen, white and pure, were following him on white horses. From his mouth comes a sharp sword with which to strike down the nations, and he will rule them with a rod of iron. He will tread the winepress of the fury of the wrath of God the Almighty. On his robe and on his thigh he has a name written, King of Kings, Lord of Lords. The first time on a donkey, the second time on a horse with a sword coming out of his mouth. The picture, the picture is that God is both right now. He, he is a God of justice. He, he's a God of grace. He's a God of mercy. But on the other side, he, he's a God who cannot deal with evil forever. He cannot let this world continue to fall into darkness. He can't because he is a God of love. And a God of love wouldn't allow a world to continue to decay on itself and prey upon itself and defeat itself. He has to eventually come back and make all things new. This is the promise for those of us who have faith in Jesus Christ. What we celebrate at New Year's is a time to say, His mercies are new every morning. His grace is new every day. And one day we we won't need to to be wrestling against our flesh and, and our sin. One day we'll be at perfect peace with Jesus. Now, verse 16.5 here, uh, th- this, this idea of Jesus riding in on a donkey is a little bit perplexing. He's supposed to be the king of the Jews. He's supposed to overthrow Rome. Where's the sword? Why is he on a donkey? This, this doesn't make a whole lot of sense. But he tells, us, he tells us that later, later on, after it's all said and done, the disciples uh, remember what it all meant. This comes from John 14, 26, that, that after Jesus left, he gave us the Holy Spirit to bring to remembrance all that he has done. That God can make sense of the confusion and, 
and, and the nuances of what we don't fully understand. It's come to mean more and more to me as I've, as I, I think I've matured to some degree or another. My wife would have to be the, the true test of whether or not I've matured over the last 10 years. But I think in part, as I have matured over the years, it has become more and more real to me as the Bible says that we see through a glass dimly. There, there's mysteries to God that we don't fully understand. There's things about Jesus that don't always make sense. Why do some people get saved and others don't? What does it take to, to redeem mankind? Why is he being patient? How, how, how is Jesus going to come back? When is he going to come back? These are all things that, that kind of tickle the mind a little bit and make us wonder and make us curious. And the reality is we don't fully know. But what we do know is that the Holy Spirit has given us the ability to know what we need to know so that we can be saved. Be clear here this morning. That if, if you're uh, someone who's wondering who Jesus is and, and, and you're, you're saying, man, I, I wonder if I, what it would take to be in a relationship with Jesus Christ. Or, or if you're praying for someone to come to know Jesus Christ, here's the good news. The Holy Spirit has the ability to make known to them exactly what they need to know. You don't have to get into all those other arguments, all those other side eddies. I, I, in a way, at heart, truly love to evangelize and share the gospel with people that don't know Jesus. And more times than not, what happens when you share the gospel with people who don't know God, they want to go down all these side eddies. I, was, uh, I saw a conversation on Facebook last night that, that uh, someone had posted something, just a simple little thing about Jesus, and, and next thing you know, it ended up in a huge, a huge spiritual dialogue between those who don't believe and those who do believe. And one of those things was, was Christians have caused every major war there ever was. It's the Christian's fault. Right? Well, let's talk about that. Let's talk about abortion. Let's talk about same-sex marriage. Let's talk about all those issues. No, 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 no. Let's talk about Jesus. Because none of that stuff ever makes sense until you know who Jesus is. None of those things are going to, none of those side eddy issues are going to solve or fix the solution. That's one of the great things I think you'll see when Brad, uh, Brad Beers teaches on apologetics. When it comes to apologetics, you can know all kinds of things to defend your faith. But at the end of the day, you need to just share your testimony. I once was lost, but now I'm found. I was blind, but now I see. And anyone who's ever been saved knows that it simply comes down to that. One day I didn't know, and one day I did. Well, what happened for you? I don't know. Seriously, why did God do that for you? I don't know that either. I know I, don't, I, know I didn't deserve it. I know I didn't earn it. I know that one day Jesus intervened in my life, and he brought me to himself. And as he brought me to himself... He blessed me with all kinds of other gifts, one of them being a church family, one being a beautiful wife who loves Jesus, one being four children that are totally chaotic but are awesome. God continues to bless because he's good. So they're perplexed. We have to see here, though, that Jesus is a king like no other king. Instead of pomp and circumstance associated with earthly kings, Jesus was meek and lowly. Instead of defeating his enemies by force, he conquered them by dying. But though he was despised and rejected at his first advent, Jesus Christ will one day return as the all-conquering King of kings and Lord of lords, who will shatter his enemies and destroy them with a fierce and final judgment. Just as he perfectly fulfilled all of the Old Testament prophecies regarding his first coming, so he will also come again in exactly the manner foretold, foretold by Scripture. I would ask as you celebrate New Year's, is one of those things you're looking forward to is the newness and return of Jesus as King. The clouds will be rendered in two, and all will see 
that it's him. So this angers the Pharisees, but at the same time, it extends the offer to Jesus. And then Jesus makes this statement. He says after, after this coming in, there, these, these, these words of Jesus, as he goes on and he says, um, verse 24, Truly I say to you, unless a grain of wheat falls onto the earth and dies, it remains alone. But if it dies, it bears much fruit. Jesus is foretelling his death. He, he's letting us know that, that he's going to die, but that death is going to bring a great harvest. In fact, I have several verses here in regards to, to how this, this works out. Matthew 20, 28. Even as the Son of Man came not to be served, but to serve and to give his life for a ransom for many. Matthew 26, 28. For this is the blood of my covenant, which is poured out for many for the forgiveness of sins. Hebrews 9, 28. So Christ, having been offered once to bear the sins of many, will appear a second time. And then in Revelations 5, 9, it tells us that God came to ransom those from every tribe and language and people and nation. This is the great harvest that is produced from the birth, death, life, and resurrection of Jesus Christ, a great harvest. Many of you here this morning are part of that harvest, amen? Jesus has, has made you born again through his death. And so Jesus makes this radical statement, I have to die like a grain of wheat that falls into the earth. But then he also says this in verse 25. He extends his example to you and I, that his path must be our path. This is a radical statement. This is a statement that should put, just put a big old smile on your face. Whoever loves his life loses it. Whoever hates his life in this world will keep it for eternal life. Uh-oh. How many of you hate your life? You wake up this morning and say, I hate my life. Is that the goal of Christ? Is that the goal of the gospel? Is the goal of the gospel to, to get you to wake up in the morning and say, well, the weight of salvation is, is to hate my life, so I hate my life. It's kind of like Garfield on Monday morning, right? Every day is Monday morning. Is that, is that what Jesus means? No. That's not, that's not what Jesus is saying. He, he's, not, he's not trying to get you to this place where you are depressed about who you are and you hate yourself, but rather he's trying to teach us something in regards to really making him king. And that reality is that if you seek and pursue self, you'll never actually love yourself. You'll end up hating yourself. And hating those things that, that you actually naturally desire is actually what's going to give you life. <clears throat> A couple different ways to put this, where I really want to get to at this point is, is to, to, to kind of discuss for us this morning these five points of what does it look like to lose your life or to hate your life? And how is it that losing your life and hating your life is going to create the life that Jesus desires? Because we can find all other places in Scripture that balance out that Jesus is for your peace, right? Jesus is for your love and your fulfillment, that, that he cares greatly about you actually enjoying this life as well as the life beyond. Jesus didn't come so that you would hate this life and only yearn for the next life. He came that you would have life here and then have life abundantly later as well. Jesus cares about you enjoying this life. I have four children. And one thing that, that is true about my kids, I'm pretty sure at the age that they're at, they love their lives way more than I do mine. Right? I mean, every day brings some kind of promise, some kind of new hope. Anytime you show them something new, it is, it is just amazing. I watched, uh, I've been sick this week, so I watched several episodes of Planet Earth 2. And, uh, and my, my daughter, she's the one that, that whenever I'm laying down, she'll come in and she'll just cuddle up next to Daddy, which is super awesome, and, and, which I love. I love, but when I, when I have a cold 
and I don't feel well, one thing about my daughter that's different about my sons, she will ask me a barrage of questions throughout the entire episode. Dad, why does it have a beak? Dad, how come it flies? Dad, why is it eating that? And I'm over here going, yeah. But anytime they see, see a new creature on TV, it's like, it's amazing to them. Absolutely amazing. They get new pajamas and they think it's, they think it's Christmas. I got new pajamas. My, uh, my oldest son lost his first tooth this week. And he woke us up at three in the morning to let us know. Because it was stuck in his mouth. Right? He woke up and he felt it in his mouth. He comes running into the room, 3 a.m. Mom, I lost my tooth. How great is that? Right? If I lose a tooth at 3 in the morning, I'm angry. I'm frustrated. There's a couple things in regards to what it means, though, that, that, that this is how you truly enjoy your life. The first, thing, the first thing that it means to hate your life is to change your affections. To understand the difference between what you hate and what you love. 1 John 2.15 says, says it like this. In regards to affections, do not love the world or the things of the world. If anyone loves the world, the love of the Father is not in him. For all that is in the world, the desires of the flesh and the desires of the eyes and the pride of life is not from the Father, but is from the world. What he says in 1 John is the way to actually find out how to not love your life or the way to find out that you hate your life is to just pursue the desire of the flesh, pursue the desire of the eyes, and pursue the pride of life. The desire of the flesh is I want to have it, I've got to have it. The desire of the eyes is that lust and envy, and the pride of life is I desire to look good. Right? You pursue those three things, and you will hate yourself, I guarantee it. I know it's a stupid example, and I found out in the first service it's probably more of a confession for me than a reality for many of you in the room, but the desire of the flesh and the desire of the eyes. I think the best way to paint the picture for me is, is whenever my wife and I have the opportunity to go to all-you-can-eat sushi. Typically, we'll plan it. We have in the past. We're going to go to all-you-can-eat sushi tonight. So the best approach, the most logical thing is to not eat after 11 a.m., knowing that you're not going to eat until 5 or 6 p.m., and therefore, you are just voracious. And you order way too many rolls and way too much fish, and, and you, you eat yourself to a point where you, where you no longer even want to look at another roll of sushi. Right? Some of you might have done that for Christmas. I know I did with my family. The, the first thing you do, because it makes a ton of sense, it just makes a ton of sense to, to produce a large turkey and a large prime rib and a lot of potatoes and a big dinner. But before you do that, let's make sure everyone gets filled up on appetizers. Let's have shrimp and let's have clam dip and let's have chips and, and all kinds of jo junk. So, so Because nothing makes you ready to eat a bunch of protein like eating more protein before eating protein. And then once you do it, you know what I'm saying. Once you do it, it doesn't, you're not satisfied. And to a degree, you, you, you almost hate yourself. There's a comedian that I enjoy listening to on occasion. His name's Jim Gaffigan. And he has this little bit where he talks about Hot Pockets. And he, he says Hot Pockets are like the most disgusting thing that we've ever created. And one of the things he says when you eat a Hot Pocket, after you eat it, you, you ask yourself, did I eat it or did I rub it on my face? <laughs> you know the kind of food you eat that, that, that makes your skin feel like you should not have eaten it. Your whole body is saying, no. And yet your mouth says, yes. You know those kind of meals that you, you, you know it's that fast food kind of 
craving. You've got to have the fast food. You've you got to have it. You've got to have it. And then you eat it and you go, that was a bad idea. I'm never going to do that again. Only for four hours later, you actually crave it. You know what I'm saying? Again, this is probably a confession for me more than it is for... You have to change the affections. You have to understand that for you to love your own body, to run after that which is fleshly, to run after what you think is right for you is going to lead to death. That's what Jesus is saying. He's saying if you love this world and you don't hate this world in the right sense, there's a love for the world that God has, but there's this desire that leads to death. How many of you crave or long for some kind of material thing only to not get it, not, not allow, it doesn't fulfill you? I literally know people who buy cars every six months. I got to get that car. It doesn't satisfy. I got to get another car. It doesn't satisfy. I mean, that's an expensive habit after a while. You're losing money. But, but you may think that's ridiculous, but all of us have ways that we do that kind of thing in our own lives. It's what the Bible calls, in a way, idol, worshiping an idol. The other thing that we need to understand in regards to changing our affections is our love, is moving our love from, from that of the world and that of things to the love of Jesus Christ, is to deny yourself. Jesus says it in the text. He also says it in Luke 9.23. He said to all, if anyone would come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross daily and follow me. For whoever would save his life will lose it, but whoever loses his life for my sake will save it. For what does it profit a man if he gains the whole world and loses or forfeits himself? Deny yourself. Another way to put it is this. When was the last time you said no to you? When was the last time you said no to yourself? I had a couple coming this week. It was really, really, really neat. And the couple said, you know, I don't want anyone to know who this is. and I won't mention any amount. But Wayne, he said, several years ago, Wayne said, uh, in regards to if you inherited a million dollars, how many of you would give 10% to God? How many of you would do that? And he said, no, we didn't inherit a million dollars, but we inherited a big chunk of money, and they came in to write a 10% tithe on that money to go to so ministries, orphans and widows in Mexico, that we support. <laughs> this man sat in front of me and wrote this very large check with tears in his eyes, and let me tell you, it moved me. Because what he was saying was, you know, I could, he said, in his wife, older couple, she said, she said, there's things we could do with this money. There's things we needed to do on our home. We'll be able to keep some of this money for ourselves, but this is what God told us to do. That, that, is, that is not only changing the affections, it's denying self. You know, God gives every single one of you in this room, every single one of you have talent, have treasure, have resource, you have energy. And the question that's asked in regards to Jesus being king, he, he's just made this triumphal entry. How much of it are you giving back to Jesus? And this isn't, this is just so you're clear, I'm not, I'm not trying to make this a money thing. This is a, this is more than anything else. It's a, it's a giving of your talent and time. You know, one of the things that God's really blessed our church with for the most part, really, to be honest with you, we have people who know how to give. We, we really do people who are willing to sacrifice, willing to do great things for God. What we've been able to do for the size of church that we are is really amazing, all God's grace. But one of the things that we have to push back against is, is, is also the comfort of what it can be, be like, oh, well, here's some money instead of, well, here's my time. I've heard people say, um, well, I don't know if I can help out at children's church. 
Well, how come? Well, because if I, if I help out in children's church, I'm going to miss the message in the morning. I go, well, it's hard to argue. I, I'd like to preach to you. I'd, I'd like that you like me to preach to you. But you know we have an 8.30 service. You could come at 8.30, hear God's message, and at 10.30, you can go serve Jesus. And then, and then they go, oh, man, that's early. That's so early. The eight, I told this to the 8.30 crowd, and you could tell them, they are very judgmental of several of you in this room. Because <laughs> they're all here at 8.30, just ready to go. Of course, Mavis, the oldest person in our congregation, she comes up to me and she says, that's why I come to the 8.30, so I can serve at the 10.30. There's something to be learned from a Mavis. And this isn't to manipulate you to do something that you don't want to do. This is to challenge you in regards to your affections for Jesus Christ. Jesus gives you a whole week. And then someone comes along and says, hey, for his glory, for the benefit of kids to grow, for more people to know Jesus, and for the church to, to be as impactful in the Truckee community area that it can be, could you come at 830? Because we got a little bit, few more seats in the 830 than we do the 1030. And, and could you serve some of the kids next door? Could, could you do that? I mean, is it worth just spending a few extra, couple extra hours in the name of Christ? You know, he is your king, right? Yeah. Well, then is he really your king? See, I have to ask those kind of questions because it's the only way to get you to really answer the question for yourself. Is Jesus really your king? Because there isn't a middle ground. He's either your savior that you give yourself to because he gave himself to you first. Or he's nothing. Deny yourself. One way to ask the question is, is how is it in the new year that you can say no to yourself, that you can say no to certain things so you can say yes to other things? Because you, you spend time, you make time for that which is important to you, right? If I mentioned this morning and say, hey, listen, for the next four weeks, I want each of you to take time to go serve next door. Several of you in the room would probably have a hard time with that. But if I said, hey, listen, next week, taking everybody to Hawaii, clear your schedule. I'm paying. How many of you would find a way to clear your schedule? And Again, it just goes back to what we think is important and what we should know is important. The third thing here is to humble yourself. Jesus rode in and was a donkey. He made himself of no reputation. And the thing is, if you ever do a word study, it's kind of a fun thing to, to, to just take a word like the word humility or humble. And if you do that word study on humility in the Bible, you'll find that every time that the Bible talks about humility in regards to application, it says humble yourself. Humble yourself. Matthew 23, 12, whoever exalts himself will be humbled, and whoever humbles himself will be exalted. We're constantly trying to teach our, teach our kids, number two is better than number one because they always want to be first. And so we teach them, you know what Jesus says, if you're last, you're first. If you're first, you're last. And, and, and the humble self, see, it's easy to be humbled. There was a gal walking out here the other day, she slipped and fell on the ice, and she went down hard. And you could tell she was embarrassed. She was okay, but she was embarrassed. She had no choice but to feel humbled in that moment, right? It's a whole other story, though, to do it yourself. And what the gospel says is 
humble yourself. And you do that by elevating Jesus and making him first and foremost in all things. Which leads us to the best way to do it, which I think in a way these things are a little out of order, is number five, serve him. If you want to know how to, if you want to know how to humble yourself, serve Jesus. And Jesus actually says it in the text, verse 26. If anyone serves me, he must follow me. And where I am, there will be my servant also. This is him saying, you duplicate my life. But he's saying service is a way to make Jesus king, to serve the Lord. One commentator says, though it may not be required, being willing to give up everything to follow Christ is what separates true disciples from false professors. Jesus does not identify true saving faith by its perfection, but by its affection. Those who truly come to Christ love him above all else, all sin, all self-righteousness, all relationships, and all self-will. And the deal with all of these things, as he tells us in Luke 9.23, is to deny yourself daily and to pick up your cross daily. The challenge from Jesus isn't to do this once a month or twice a month, but to do it every single day, to find a way to elevate other people, which leads me to that fourth point, which is really my last point here, to be bold and unashamed of the gospel. Luke 9, 26, whoever is ashamed of me and my words, of him will the Son of Man be ashamed when he comes in his glory, in the glory of the Father and of the holy angels. To make Jesus king is to serve Jesus, to share Jesus, to deny yourself, and to humble yourself. That's what it means to make Jesus king. This is the way of salvation. This is the way of sanctification. And in all honesty, it's the way you find the true life. I shared it last week briefly. There's kind of that statement that's gone around. Just be you. Just be you. No. Don't be you. Be who Jesus made you to be. You see, there's a real you. And it's a unique you. It doesn't mean that you lose your identity. It doesn't mean that you lose your humor or your talent. But it means that Jesus has created you to be a certain person that is joy-filled, that really enjoys this life. And that real you is only found in him. And you become more human when you serve other people. You become more human when you deny yourself. When you look at celebrities and you see how, how they love to exalt themselves and love to exude pride and arrogance and, and a life of, of full, full, just suck it all in and take it all for yourself, when I see those kind of people, when I see them in all honesty, they look less human than the group of people I have here before me. It's almost like they're not real people. It's that, that decay. They're losing their humanity because they love this life. And when you set that aside and you seek the purposes of Christ, you become the person he's always intended you to be. As I close, I, I want to end with this contrast that exists within the text. These things that I've just shared with you, there's no doubt that they're very difficult. I don't do them in perfection. No way. But there's a glory to it. If you see the contrast, it's hard but glorious. Verse 24, a call to die. Verse 25, to hate the world. Verse 26, to follow, follow Jesus on the Calvary road. Verse 26b, to become servants. But then look at the promises attached in the same verses. You'll bear much fruit. 
You'll keep your life for eternity. We'll join Jesus in his glory, and the Father will honor us. The challenge is hard in the new year to follow Jesus and make disciples for his glory through his word on his mission. But it will be a glorious one. It's a good one, and it's worth doing together as a church family. Amen? Amen. Thankful for you. Let's pray. Jesus, we ask this morning as we close that you would put that seed in our hearts to deny ourselves and to humble ourselves. Thank you, Lord, that in the first go-around as you came, you came on a donkey, Lord, as a baby, that anyone could come to you and receive your grace and faith. And Lord, I extend that invitation to anyone here this morning, that if they desire that relationship with you, that they would know, Lord, that all it takes is a step of faith to confess within their hearts, Lord, and in their mouth that you are the true God, the one who forgives us of our sins. I pray, Lord, that if there's anyone in this room, they would see that that to follow you now would mean to, to lay their lives before you and truly make you king, that they would know you and your family for eternity. May they not be ashamed of your goodness and your grace, but would they stand proud to admit, Lord, that you are the King of kings. And Jesus, for those of us who know you and are walking with you, we confess we don't always walk as we should. We don't always have the faith that we should. We know that your mercies are new every morning. And the new year reminds us of that, Lord. Reminds us that, that Lord, you, you give us another chance after another chance after another chance, 70 times 7. That you're a loving Father with your arms open to us at all times. I pray, Lord, that we would make a habit every day of running to you in some way or another and serving you in some way or another. And we trust, Lord, that your strength and your spirit will give us the ability to do so. In Jesus' name, amen. Let's stand together, church.